Welcome to the Rural Record Producer podcast. I'm David Booth from the Recording Booth studio in rural Suffolk, UK. The studio is a building in my garden, so yes, I am making records in an English country garden. I'm a music producer, singer, songwriter, drummer, guitarist, and in fact, uh, eternally distracted multi-instrumentalist. In these podcasts, I'm going to be talking to a whole bunch of different people with one thing in common. They make some or all of their living from music. So expect songwriters, promoters, brand specialists, electronic drums, wizards, live sound engineers, choir leaders, gig bookers, festival curators, tribute band musicians, music charity chiefs, and a whole lot more. I'm based in the UK, but I have musical friends all over the world, so I'll be doing my best to hook up with them over the coming weeks and months to give a broader view of this crazy collection of jobs we do. My guest this week is James Partridge. I first got to know James around 2004 when he was singer, guitarist and one of the songwriters of the mighty East Anglian Americana collective known as Songs from the Blue House. But he started off way before that and I think I'm right in saying he has fronted bands on and off for something approaching four decades. These days he's a busy chap with Blue House music wearing many different music related hats including gig booker, promoter, live sound engineer, tour manager and enthusiastic driver of vans full of musicians and their gear. So, let's dive in to this wealth of experience that is Mr James Partridge. Hello James Partridge. Hello David. Hello. It's very nice to have you here in rural Suffolk in my studio, especially... Let's get this out of the way, shall we? So, um, it is the 16th of March 2020. Um, the world is a very strange place right now, Indeed. is it not? Yes. So we are all uh, in the here in the UK. We are not yet um, being locked into our houses, um, so we can travel about fairly freely. Um, but um, we've stopped hugging and stuff, which was a disappointment for me <laughs> today when James arrived because I haven't seen him for a while. Um, but uh, it's yeah, I, I guess those sort of uh, the people that are suffering terribly in in Italy and and Spain's getting like that now um it's not got like that yet here it might it might so we'll we'll mentally prepare for those things but um so right now for us musicians this is a a funny old time but we are going to talk about what James does uh in a normal state of affairs so later hopefully later this uh this year uh things will get back to normal we'll all get um, back to making music with other people in the same room and playing it in front of other people in the same room. Uh, and that's how we'll go forward, if that's okay, James. Yes, that, that works Does for me. Does that make sense? And just to imagine how, uh, how lovely that's going to feel and we'll all realise how important it is. Oh, good God, uh, yes. Once we've not had it for, uh, well, whether it's two weeks or six weeks or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or 50, 50 weeks. <laughs> it's, God oh, knows. Yes. it's a very, so this is a very sharp, pointy example of something that we should all try and wake up in the morning. Those of us that, that make it our living uh, within and around music, um, I, I often pinch myself and, and say, OK, I am very lucky to do this as a job. It's a very silly job. Um, there are people out there that do <laughs> difficult jobs. <laughs> I don't know, uh, collecting rubbish or nurses, or especially at the moment. Um, and I get to do music for a living. Um, so I am very lucky. And, and these sort of times... Although right now we might feel unlucky because it means we've got basically no work for the next few months. Um, We are lucky to do what we're doing. And there is a joy about it, isn't there? So when it's normally happening, 
are, are you still feeling the joy having done it for so many years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of in uh, now in ancillary trades um, rather than playing myself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, just um, as recently as two weeks ago, I was just driving through rural Scotland, and this happens to me a lot when I'm out with a band. Is I'm just driving along somewhere and just think, oh my god, I'm. I'm being paid to do this. This is crazy, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a precarious position because I work with musicians then. I kind of uh, am on similar level of wage to them and <laughs> and if the work doesn't come, then, then that's it. There's no work. Yeah. So um, but the balance um, just about uh, works out normally. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I guess that's the... Uh, well, it's same for me. Uh, in the I, I earn living mostly indoors these days in in my studio mm. and play a little bit. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, it's been fairly fairly uh, okay for for a few years now for me. It's been fairly consistent at the work level. But there's, I think, every musician that I, I meet, um, nearly all of them, that have those times when it's very nice to have a very supportive partner in one's life oh, yes. uh, with with a normal job uh but but we we have to do what we do because it's in our bones and it we we just uh, music is there we cannot get rid of it it is what rules our lives yeah uh, to a degree i think um now uh, with that in mind um why music why why music for you how on earth did you get into music did you play it Etc. Uh, well, uh, so way back um, when I was, I guess, eight years old, my brothers handed me a pile of records. Mm. Um, up to that point, I was, I was really into people my age who were famous singers, and I was lucky that there were two. Uh, <laughs> there was little Jimmy Osmond, and there was Neil Reed. And I just looked at these kids, they were like literally my age, and I thought, wow, that looks really cool. <laughs> and uh, my brothers, I think, probably noticed my interest in music and steered me uh, in a different direction by handing me, I think, eight Beatles albums, Soundtrack to Easy Rider, Steppenwolf, Yes, and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Most of that's quite cool. I'll leave people to judge what, what I think. I, I don't know what's happened to the world if Emerson, Lake and Palmer have become cool again. <laughs> I'm not cool enough to know what's cool anymore. But Me neither. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, my brother's handed me some records. And particularly the Beatles, I just thought, oh, that, that, that sounds doable. You know, it's a bit of a stretch wow. to, be, uh, to be Steve Howe or... Uh, or a member of uh, one of the Emerson, Lake and Palmer people, but I thought, oh, that doesn't sound too hard. So then I nagged my mother uh, to get me a guitar, and uh, she didn't want to. She'd bought instruments for my three preceding siblings, and none of them had stuck with it. So she reluctantly, uh, uh, I got a guitar, and um, that was that. Oh, dear. Mm. Hooked. Yes. And I, I did notice very early on that if you had one of those at a party, then girls appeared. It, it, I'm thought, afraid that, that it is that, true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean... I thought, I oh, this is all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I too found that in my teens. Um, 
I have no idea uh, whether it happens these days. I, I don't really notice. Uh, I don't play live enough for starters and have been with my dear lady wife for many donkey's years. So mm. I don't notice these things, of course. No, me neither, actually. <clears throat> Any, anymore. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to ignore the fact that you've stopped playing at the moment because as far as I'm concerned, you are still a, a player as well as you're just on a slight rest. It's call it a hiatus. Y- yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, but so you, I, I guess you played in bands, did you, through your teens and, and, and got, what, tried to be famous uh, or do do the whole serious thing? I think I... Think I, I st- I started writing um, like two days after I got that first guitar, mm. and um, and so I did actually record an album when I was about twelve, I think, at the house in Ipswich of a guy called John Bowers, who's um, <laughs> still around. It was just on reel to reel tape, just live, like twelve songs. I have no idea what happened to that reel. I'd, Oh God! If it turned up, I'd be so happy, but I, I fear it's gone. <laughs> um, so uh, then, punk rock dragged me in, and my friend Budgie, another Ipswich fella. I should put in at this point that that James is currently sporting very, very excellent, bright pink hair. And we are actually calling it magenta. Uh, if uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Magenta. Magenta, <laughs> which which blends beautifully with the the, the more mature colours on the side of your, your sort of head there. You know, Thank you. Know? You're the, talking the, about the, the grey hair. The, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. I have lots uh, of those too. That's nothing to do with um, <laughs> so the punk, was that, punk rock. Yeah, that, nothing to that's do just with my punk. hair. No, 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 that's just what you feel I do. Okay. So, so sorry, yes. So, so, so that was my first um, foray into being in a band was in kind of the summer of 1978. Uh, oh, wait, no, there was one before that with a school friend. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, but we never actually did a gig, I don't think. So the first gigging band was uh, The Retarded, which was with my friend Budgie and it was kind of his band and we were the two guitarists and we would just um, play other punk songs backwards um, the chord sequences backwards and write lyrics ah. over them and that seemed to work and um, and then um, and then <laughs> and then Budgie left and then it, and then it moved on from there oh, okay. I did actually quit at the end of uh, that band as well I stopped playing for about a year Okay. Well, see, uh, I think sometimes it gives you a bit of uh, perspective on the whole thing. I think we're all probably uh, uh, eternal addicts until until the end of our lives we're, with music in our souls as much. I, tr- I, I tried to quit as well, uh, yes, didn't I? Uh, I know. So um, I should say at this point that James, uh, James sat here, definitely stopped me from... Um, giving up music entirely uh, in, in in about mid-2010 when I had a... Um, uh, I don't know whether that's a midlife crisis. I wasn't old enough, probably, but um, no. some sort of crisis. It's but, a wobble. Uh, it's just a wobble. It, it was a wobble, uh, and I had a rest, and, and very quickly James said, oh, come on, play for my band. Um, so yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. That's uh, right. It's a pleasure. It's, it seemed a waste. Thank you. Sitting there being upset by it all when you... <laughs> When I figured you could be having fun with us, yes, and it was, it was fun. Yeah. Um, so you, so okay, so you had a break. So you did bands, you did writing. Uh, I, I know you. So you had a band in, in Ipswich and with some other friends that I, I know is called As Is. Is that is that right? So yeah, did that was, got quite serious, didn't it? It did. Yeah, there was two iterations of that. Um, the first one was um, with Paul Reed on drums, Stephen Mears on bass, and later Paul Taylor on uh, another guitar, and. Um, 
Yeah, that was in conversations with record companies. People came to see us in London, you know, from A and R departments, yeah. and um, but it never really happened. Mm. A common story. Yes, for lots of us. And then all three of the other guys all left at the same time because they had other opportunities, and so I formed an As Is Mark II. Um, which is when I started working with Shane Kirk, who loomed large later ah, on in, in my musical yes. career. And uh, Malcolm Hawkes on drums and Ross Geraghty on bass. Okay. And that was a uh, kind of slightly punkier version of As Is. Right. Not punk by any means, but just a little bit rougher. Yeah. And that, that's, yeah. Well, you see, I uh, I think nearly everybody I know has got a story quite similar where they they got their band to a stage where it was, oh, nearly, nearly there, nearly yeah. there and doing a bit of touring and, and talking to some labels a little bit. And, yeah. and so many people I know seem well, to, the, the, to have that. The um, second version of As Is was um, sent a contract by a company called American Music Management through our, through our manager, James Harding, um, which uh, we almost signed. And, and we didn't <laughs> like portions of the contract, so we okay. we asked them if they could change any of it. And they said, I think it was, if it's good enough for Nancy Sinatra, it's good enough for you. Because oh, they managed her okay. and uh, someone else. I don't know. So, Slightly different music? Uh, yes, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I didn't, I never Did really... Did you do a cover of These Boots Made for Walking? Or? No. <laughs> Perhaps you should have done that. I, don't know. I, I never really understood that whole thing. Uh, but the impression I got of that was that if we signed with them, we would probably move to Los Angeles and start from there. Uh. But um, we didn't sign it. We pissed them off. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Uh, uh, so yeah, there we go. Never so mind. when you when you uh, so usually what happens in these stories um, is that we all get to a stage where uh, we think we're going to be famous rock stars, and then it all falls apart, and then we get proper jobs and uh, disappear off and never do music ever again. So that's what a lot of people do. Uh, but it, you, 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 did, did you have an element of that? Did you um, get a proper job or not, uh, f- not for a, a while? Or, no, still no? still stumbled along um, yeah. working in record shops um, when I could be bothered to turn up. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, and still kind of writing. It was The writing was the key thing. As long as I was writing, I just thought, well, I need to... Yeah. Play these songs to people, either record them or, or go out and play them live. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it's, just, it's some sort of sickness. Yeah, it's an illness. <laughs> it's just, so like I've written this thing and people must hear it. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, so, um, and when the writing stopped, and I even wrote a song about the writing having stopped, <laughs> what about that? Um, I just thought, okay, that's it. Okay. And, and there was a very key moment in that in the first Sugar album, Bob Mould's band yeah. after Huskadoo. Copper Blue came out. Great album. And I heard Copper Blue and I just went, oh, this is what I've been trying to do for the last two, three years. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the start of my – that was when I just thought, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just, like, knuckle down, get a job. Yeah. So that's when I got involved in uh, – Pubs, yes, basically pubs, and then breweries. So when I pubs met you in, in the mid two thousands, you were working for a brewery, which which seemed to me a dream job, uh, working for a brewery and 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 
seemingly drinking a lot of your, your own beers at that, that time. Uh, not, not just you, all of us, it has to be said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had three years on the road as a national sales rep for a, a larger family brewer up in Lincolnshire and then uh, found a slightly, forgive me, Batemans, but a slightly cooler job at Crouch <laughs> Vale in, in um, South Essex, which uh, I stuck at for 15 years. 15 years, gosh. Yeah, it was just about. It was a very yeah. small company, so there's always something new to do when there's yeah. only eight people. Yeah. I didn't brew. No. I did everything else, you know, yeah. accounts, marketing, sales, um, yeah. delivering, you know, whatever, yeah. Tidy, sweeping the yard, you know, <laughs> tidying up the, the, the cold store, you know. Yeah. It was... Um, I learned ever such a lot about um, many things at that brewery. The most important one for my life now being how to do accounts. Ah, okay. And uh, just for all you musicians and ancillary people out there, the key to doing accounts is to do them every single day. <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes before you go to bed at the hotel, do your accounts and then six months later you're going to thank me because there's not going to be a big carrier bag full of receipts wisdom indeed that's the end of my sermon on that <laughs> well I, I i think that i think that's very good advice uh i i think i probably do mine once a week at the moment but i've got a very organized accountant who gave me a very nice spreadsheet uh probably 15 years ago mm-hmm. um and i'm pretty good at keeping up to date uh, every day with fine, just fine whether it's a week or every yeah, day yeah. or every month just but have, if you're out on the road have a routine yeah if you're out on the road like you are you've got you to must, do it every day you must need to be disciplined because yeah. otherwise things could get quite chaotic with the amount of different yeah things you're having to deal with um so okay well when i met you um you were working for crouchvale brewery but you'd got this mighty beast of a band uh which which i had a lot of fun playing occasionally with so it was called songs from the blue house and the reason uh dear listeners that it was called for songs from the blue house as far as i'm aware is because james lived in a blue house yes at the time and there's more blue house things coming in, in a few moments so so this band um i was in, invited to go and play so i had a serious band at the time uh called alone me and then later the flow and i did the nearly nearly famous thing as well um uh, but then i had occasionally some spare time and when i stopped playing with my own band uh i had lots of spare time so james said why don't you come and hit some things and come and, and i ain't played uh, i was playing guitar with my band but really i was i'd been a drummer since i was 15 so I, I james said well, come and hit a few things for us then um, so it started off gently with a with a little bit of light percussion and it ended up being a full on rock, <laughs> rock 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 band, um, which which the, the the poor poor fiddle player wasn't very pleased about. Bless you, fiddly. Uh, he's an awesome bloke, um, but I don't think he really liked the the volume at which I played the kit. No, um, I wouldn't take it personal. Oh no, no no I didn't I didn't no 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 it's it's, it's totally understandable, um, but but this this uh, this band for me it was a new experience because it really was quite a, it had a core of what, four or five people um, I guess I, I think if you spoke to the original three which is myself Shane Kirk and uh, Gibbon yeah um, we would say we were the core but there's no yeah. doubting that they were. Other people, such as my other half, Helen, who were always there, and Tony Wynn on banjo was always there. But we started as a three. Yeah. And we were only ever going to play unamplified and sitting on hay bales. And so, you know, what it turned into um, just makes me laugh even (laughs) 
today. So, uh, I'm very proud of how it ended well, up. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, so well, the, I I learned a lot from this band actually, and that that the, you don't you, you adapt to different to different situations for starters. That that's um, something. I, so it got me thinking much more as a drummer. Where there were some genuinely gigs where I had to be quiet and just play an egg shaker and a ride cymbal mm. nicely and creatively. So that got me thinking. But then there are other times when I could play the full kit and then one day we'd have a, uh, we'd have a keyboard player. One day we wouldn't, but we'd have a slide uh, a pedal steel <laughs> player. Uh, another day we, you might decide to just, just play really loud. And uh, so it was actually great. Uh, a great learning experience, and, and the fact it could be a, the, the the apart from the the core three or four or whatever it was, to have a loose collective and and mm. uh, famously, um, I remember standing on stage for one of the gigs we did down at the sadly missed High Barn in in Essex. We had twelve people on stage, yes, and it was just a magnificent a magnificent experience. Um, yeah. thank you. Um, I, I liked and, it too. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, so so that's that's when we we first met. But um, one one memorable thing from that period that before we move on to uh, things a bit nearer now would be we tell me how we ended up on the on the final. St- so I was producing by this point your the the, the Blue House albums in my studio. Mm-hmm. Bless you for bringing those to me. To me, um, how on earth on on the final Blue House album did we end up? With Bellowhead's brass section <laughs> playing enormous epic noise on, on, on that album, how how how? Um, so um, Helen Mully, uh, who I share a house with, and was the I guess the other front person of songs from the Blue House, went to college with Paul Sartin, who was in Bellowhead. And was a good friend of, of Helen's, obviously, and also of mine. And so we're in the process of doing Songs from the Blue House 4. And uh, I think uh, either you or I or both of us thought this would sound, some of these songs would sound <laughs> nice with some brass. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll speak to Paul because I know he knows some brass players. I, I They'll probably say no. And um, all four of them said yes. So we had... Ed came and played, I want to say tuba, but it wasn't a tuba. It was something else. Was it an E-flat bass? I, no, I don't know. It yeah. had some name. That I'm, yeah. I don't know. So what he actually name? came and physically did, did it in the room. The others yes. flew their parts in. Yes. And and then Paul Sartin himself came and played some fiddle and some oboe. Which was an amazing experience for me as a, as a I, I guess, quite fledgling record producer at that point. Uh, this yeah. is quite early in the days of me taking it seriously. So yeah. to have somebody of, of you know, Ed and, and Paul's yeah. stature come and play in the studio was wonderful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Sartan just came in and I think he'd listened to the songs twice on the way there and he just cracked most of it out in one take. Yeah. It was just it, mind-blowing. Astonishing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you sort of say to him, all right, on the oboe, at the beginning of this song, do Rhapsody in Blue, but don't get me sued. <laughs> yeah, make it different enough. And it was... That you, yeah, it's, it was. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly every, every time I listen to it, I go, oh, that is Rhapsody in Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> so yes if you want to hear that people uh go and search songs from the blue house and it's the fourth album uh that uh, you will find that on what yeah. song was that on what, what was uh, what the, the yeah, rhapsody in blue Rhapsodian was blue, uh, um rolling and tumbling okay also right. featuring boo hewardine on buried backing vocals 
We we had a great dinner with Boo, <laughs> didn't we? Um, we <laughs> <laughs> That's another story from High Barn. We were going to too much, but he's definitely one of the funniest chaps I've ever sat and had dinner with before a gig. Yes. Um, and his story about... Uh, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Roddy Woomble. Hello, Roddy, if you're listening. Um, I, I appreciate what you do. Um, but he told us about... <laughs> Boo told us a great story about, about uh, Roddy Woomble um, buying a boat. Um, and it's sinking quite quickly, apparently. I, I don't. I don't remember. Any you don't of remember. This. I, no. I remember that really clearly. <laughs> just just because I was such a fan of Idlewild and, and Roddy's. Um, perhaps Roddy, you could correct us on that if that's not true. But apparently, yes, he got a boat and sunk it quite quickly. Bought a leaky boat. I don't know whether it was leaky or just whether oh. Roddy didn't really know what he was doing with the boat. But anyway, mm. nice chap. Hello, Boo. <laughs> um, so so this was a uh, this was uh, you, you, we did we did Blue House and then. Um, you decided you were going to not do that anymore, I think. Uh, we did the live album, didn't we? Which was perhaps you just thought, well, that's it. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, it just clearly. wrapped it up. Yeah. Really, for me, it was um, five records finished with a live one. And then it was sort of a greatest hits. It had an equal number <laughs> of songs from all of the previous four records. Um, some marked improvements on the recorded versions of some of the earlier stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it was... Um, yeah, it was a nice thing to do, and it's crowdfunded um, yeah. successfully. I still have several boxes of them in my wardrobe, but it, you know, it uh, it uh, I was going to say wiped its own ass. Can I say that? You can say that. Okay, it you wiped its own ass, and um, and uh, and that's sometimes it's you know, I mean, that's very much as an amateur musician. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can do it without spending any money, yeah, that's as, as an amateur, that's wonderful. But there, there was, um, you see, what what I I uh, can look back on now, um, as as somebody. Uh, I mean, at the time, I was not doing. Uh, in fact, around that time, it probably was around that time that I went full time as a producer. I think I, I think it I, was about that. Yeah, about that time. Right. And I'd been I'd been working part time in music and part time in uh, the voluntary sector, working with young volunteers, which is a great part time job to have. But it was around that time I got busy enough with the studio to think about that and and i can look back on that and thinking uh, we did an amazing job on that and it okay it was a, a project it was an amateur project it was a project we all did for fun i mean i got paid for for a lot of the work i did um but it, it was it was certainly for me it was part of the experience of bringing myself confidence to be able to then mm. go and do it full time yeah uh, and and give it a go and it and it was certainly something i think that you you lot could look on and think well you know what that's a good product uh it, it's got really good songs on there mm. and we did it you know we did a good job we did very good live shows which you know people that saw them would would hopefully agree that that you'd be happy to pay 15 quid to get to buy a ticket and, yeah. and see that band so it was um i think it was quite an important little step for me but but also i think it's something you could look back on and say you're all right yeah we did that and it was you know yeah i, I do occasionally listen to something from yeah. songs from the Blue House and going, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Normally when I'm drunk. Okay. Well, that, that's fine. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, I don't listen to my own music very often and, and I probably... I mean, so, to, some, uh, sometimes if I'm with a band in a van and they'll sometimes somebody will ask, say, oh, can I? Can we hear some of your stuff? And yeah. I'll just be like... Yeah, really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, um, and normally they don't ask me to turn it off. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's Fairly good I, I sign. I sort of take that as a good sign. You're listening to the Rural Record Producer Podcast with me, 
David Booth and my guest, James Partridge. I can't remember the transition then from when we stopped doing that um, and uh, I got busy with my thing and you got busy doing your things. Um, But somehow uh, I then found out uh, a little while later that, oh, this, this, this James Partridge bloke, he doesn't work for the brewery anymore. And he now books gigs for bands. <laughs> and I suppose we all had that period uh, of discovering that. And then all of us probably approached you at, uh, at the same time and said, oh, do you want to book gigs for us? And you were like, no, uh, no, no, I'm doing it for proper bands and proper artists. And, I'm not sure. Uh, of that, which I'm none not, of you. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, those were my exact words. <laughs> no, no, but, but uh, and we all joked. About it. We had a laugh. But um how did how on earth did you make the transition for working for a brewery and doing music at a an amateur but high level but an amateur level okay. to stopping doing that and then starting doing uh, the booking gigs? So um, <clears throat> the, the first thing that's pertinent to that is that Tony Wynn, the banjo player, and I had started promoting shows just once or twice a month, but you know high quality. They were and um, well-attended, which was important. And so I, a lot of good people came through the doors of that venue over the seven years that it ran. This was live at the Institute in Kelvedon, yeah. Essex. Uh, yeah. yeah, And occasionally in uh, other places we promoted at the John Peel Centre in Stowmarket and at the aforementioned uh, High Barn as well. Yeah. Uh, with people like Larkin Poe and Kim Ritchie, when we had someone that was a little bit too big for the... Yeah. The hall in Kelvin. So but basically that introduced me to lots of people who were really good. Can, can we say at this point, because Larkin Poe are now famous, can we can we say that you and I supported Larkin Poe at High Barn once, didn't we? Uh, oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. We did, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's just thought I put okay, that in there. Right. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Another name drops. <laughs> um, but bless them. So at uh, Live at the Institute, I came across all these people that were really good and it just occurred to me that they didn't they, they were just on their own they didn't have any help so i just filed that away <laughs> <laughs> and then the true story of the birth of blue house music the agency is that the black feathers came to me and asked me to be their manager mm. and i said i am not a manager that's not i'm not a strategy guy and yeah. i don't have any connections Um, which you do need in management. So I'm going to say no. But I was thinking that maybe I'd try starting a booking agency. Right. And uh, they said, that'll do. (laughs) They just wanted... Because Ray and Sean, that was it. That was their team. Yeah. Yeah. So they just wanted someone else who gave a damn. Yeah. And um, I really liked them and very early on saw how fabulous they were going to be. So became a booking agent and um, with my background in promoting, I was like, okay, well, I think I know how to approach promoters. Yeah. Now, I was wrong, but... Um, <laughs> how are you wrong? Why are you wrong? Because you oh, promote oh, shows? So many, so okay. many different reasons, but, um, but obviously you learn. So Blue House Music started, I was still working full-time at the brewery. Then I went down to four days at the brewery. Then I went down to three days at the brewery. I can't remember if I made it to two days a week work <laughs> or if I just quit at three. Um, but with a heavy heart, um, I quit the brewery and just launched myself into this world of having no salary. <laughs> I can distinctly remember being in Camden in Regent's Park 
before my first promotion at the Green Node, which was Sarah Jane Scouten from Canada, sitting in Regent's Park, and for the first time realising, oh, I'm not getting paid this month. Mm. And it was thrilling and terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But truth be told, when I left the job, the full-time job, oh, sorry, but the by-now yes. part-time job, it was almost, I just remembered the punk days and the living alone in a flat in Ipswich and kind of just about making rent and working a little bit in a record shop here and doing a few gigs there and not ever quite having enough money. I'm just going to sound ridiculous, but I missed it. <laughs> I just, the thrill of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, get, getting regular money just felt a bit dull. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was my midlife crisis. I, I can't but, remember what it feels like, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm just back. It's brought it all into focus uh, yeah, yeah. just now. But, um, but so that was, that. yeah, it was partly just wanting to, I really wanted to get back on yeah. into, into music, but I didn't feel that I was young, talented or good looking enough to do it myself. But I thought, but I do have some sort of experience yeah. that I can bring to bear. Yeah. I don't know everything, but I can give people pointers. Yeah. So the day, the day that the Black Feathers and I had that conversation, uh, that I would start an agency, Ray from the Black Feathers is also a web designer. By the end of that day, I had a website. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite impressive. Uh, with them on it as my first clients. And yes. I, you know, and I uh, acquired clients and some of it worked and some of it didn't. Um and that's just that's just how it is yeah yeah uh, so yeah that's the birth of blue house music and it was a painful birth and a uh, lot to learn still well i hope we all keep saying that mm-hmm. uh all the time because i'm still yeah i know now that i knew nothing when i started recording people in my studio well I knew, I knew enough because I'd recorded... Uh, I'd been into other studios that had yes. recorded me when I was younger. So you do learn on the job like that. Yeah, and but, also um, the, the most important yeah. piece of equipment in the studio is your ears. So yeah. Um, yeah. as long as those are good, you can yeah. you can get away with a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. On the technical side, to a, to a point. Yeah. So, um, right, so Blue House Music started as an agency... Yes. And then, uh, so over the time I found this out and then kept an eye on your website and saw people appearing on it. So, oh, they're good. Oh, I've heard of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you got you got lots of different people starting to appear on your website. Um, did, did, it, did it just get to the point where you had, uh, you had or have so many that you couldn't then keep up with the admin for booking all these things? Or, um, um, did, did, I presume that somebody, once you get established... Um, like yourself, you get bombarded by artists mm. wanting. Help. I had three this morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I almost want to write it back and say, "Guys, not a good time." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, well, I would prefer, if I may, to swerve the conversation to the people that I really believed in. Do it, and no one else got. That that's that's the thing that really cripples you, you know, emotionally. It's just yeah. like I won't necessarily name any names. There are people I worked or work with who are fabulous, 
And I just cannot, for some reason, get that across. Mm. But at the end of the day, if the promoter looks at something and says, I don't think my audience will like that, then there's nothing I or the artist can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's it. Yeah, doesn't matter how good you think. They <laughs> are. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can't find the way to phrase it or something, you know, then that, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. And there are promoters that I work with now who will always have a good look at things that I present to them, and then every now and then there'll be a particular artist that all of them just go, "I don't get it." Oh, really? And there's nothing you can do. Oh, wow. Well, isn't that a wonderful thing that uh, and reminds us that music is a, a subjective thing uh it, it is it is we it's can a, all say all right they can definitely play guitar well and yeah. they can definitely sing in tune mm-hmm. but beyond that isn't it all i think that's a good song and i or i like what they do and not everyone likes the same thing um i mean it's a little bit more hard nosed than that it's just, i think i can sell tickets <laughs> but so 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 how much uh sure the promoters are mostly thinking about that um i guess um, but how much are you thinking about that uh me percentage me, in your n- brain me not nearly enough <laughs> I, I'm very I, mu- thought, I thought you were I'm very that. much from the gut and i just go oh this is awesome and it really touches me in some way or yeah. you know and, and i'm pretty sure that will work for other people um i would say there are a f- 10 15 percent of promoters i work with will just go, oh, this should be good. Um, and then there's another, the large portion of them, are, this sh- this should be good, but I wonder if I can sell tickets. Yeah. And there is a lot to that. You know, how do these people look in their photographs? What's the bio like? You know, right, so what's, here's good what's advice. their web presence? And So if you're, uh, okay, if you're an artist out there listening to this, uh, mm. or you're in a band, or you're involved with a band, uh, or trying to help a band out, mm-hmm. uh, or an artist... This is good. This is good uh, thought advice. Is this because I, I, I well, I've often potentially. Been, well, well, <laughs> it's it's interesting to hear. Okay. from somebody now currently working in the industry. Yeah, albeit not at this very moment in history, but <laughs> as none of us are working right now. But uh, in general, uh, I get grumpy uh, with the thought that the photos have to look good. Mm. Or, you know, all of that. But it really does matter then. And they don't have to look good. I'm not saying you have to have a pro photographer. I'm just saying mm. that we are, you know, nobody really wants to see pictures of people standing up against a brick wall looking in different directions. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have the answer yeah. as to how they should look, but they should not look like a band. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it, oh it yeah, just... it's, it's uh, I, it, having been in bands, um, it is impossible Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to, to come up with a new concept, but some people do. <laughs> I feel like it's impossible. In, but... a, in a way, it is worth. It's not in a way. Uh, it is very definitely worth hiring a photographer, hopefully a friend, so they can do your mates' rates. Yeah. Who has an eye for who you are? Yeah. Because one thing, generally, the artists, musicians, are not great at is understanding what it is about them that people like. Yeah. yeah. So you need someone else to look at it and figure it out yeah. for you. And say, lovely photo, totally incongruous with your music. With, yes. For Be, example, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there needs to be something in that initial presentation that explains to, in this case, promoters and subsequently yeah. the audience 
who are these people? You know, give me an idea, give me a feel for it, what it's mm. going to be like for me that night. Yeah. You know. Has um, has this, uh, so I think you've worked in this sort of world long enough now to give me an idea of, or has it has has have things changed over recent years? Is there obviously the, we're losing a lot of grassroots music venues, which everybody knows about, mm. but uh, the ones that remain are are, are they still prepared to take uh, a chance on an artist because that artist is just astonishingly good at their performance? Or yeah. or there's plenty. There's, there's the- certainly joy. Uh, to be had out there is there there's from pl- yeah there's plenty of places out there that will do exactly that you know they'll take a chance because they think no i think this is really good yeah um and a lot of places are lucky enough to kind of be subsidized by the bigger ticket selling things so that that means uh, okay. that they can then yeah take a chance every now and then yeah yeah um and the, but then you know, a lot of the promoters say in the folky and americana scene are more purist about it and they just you know a bit like we did at Kelvin and they'll just have one or two things a month um which unfortunately means that competition for those very high quality slots is very fierce yeah yeah well, i mean I've, I've seen it um the house concerts thing um from an artist point of view i still do some of these sort of things and play occasionally um they're, they're wonderful. There, there are, and there are people like Stephen Norwich that, that, that just try their hearts out for these things. And, mm-hmm. and um, so this is, I guess, you and I are both sort of hovering mainly around the acoustic-based, rootsy, folky, americana mm-hmm. sort of stuff, um, which suited to acoustic house gigs. Um, they're, they're such great things to get, if you can get them. Um, are there... I think more people are doing that now, aren't they? Or, or am I imagining that? Uh, yeah, there probably are more. Um, but the amount of artists, um, domestic and international, that are uh, going for those slots is way higher than it was before. Oh, okay. Um, who knows? This little period of uh, um, rest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, may, may sort of shake things up a bit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's too too early to say, but um, yeah, broadly the competition is very fierce. Um, people are, I'm afraid, going out to small scale gigs less in this country, um, and you know it's something that a lot of people in in our business say is that it's just astounding that people will pay 150 pounds to go and see the stereophonics or whatever yeah but would not spend 15 quid to to see 10 you know yeah, to see 10 yeah, other artists yeah, in a nicer place where yeah. beer is the right price better and, sound and you're gonna yeah. be able to hear it yeah it, it's but we can't you know it's not our job to tell those people what to do it's our job to uh, encourage them to come to ours yeah. as well or instead yeah yeah um and I guess this is what I, I'm here. I've ended up um, being in Sweden uh, in the last sort of seven or eight months for, for three different trips um, for various different things. But uh, I've seen it over there that, that um, there seems to be still a better appreciation of original music in mainland Europe. Or certain pockets of it than there is in this this country of our own. Uh, I mean, is that you you're on the road over in in mainland Europe a lot? There's a 
presumably yeah. a reason for that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, bigger shows, more people at them, mm. um, better paid. There's yeah. an element of subsidy to some of the Scandinavian shows. But, you know, touring with um, John Craigie, um, you know, we took him took three years to getting up to get him up to selling a venue out in London yeah. of 150 cap. Right. And he goes to Amsterdam for the first time and there's nearly 200 people there. <laughs> it's like, you know, right, okay. Amsterdam's a pretty switched on city and people um, are very keen to go out and see new yeah. things or things they may have heard of through Spotify or whatever. Okay. So uh, that, that's, that, those are extreme examples, but um, that's the sort of thing that can happen on the continent uh, yeah. that doesn't hear so much. Uh, and do you think it's possible for artists, um, uh, I became aware of a few years ago, one or two artists that, that started um, just booking their own shows, uh, just mm-hmm. contacting venues in, in Europe, uh, places perhaps they just fancied going for a, for a holiday, but then uh, there was a good friend of our both, Paul Liddell, who sadly doesn't do his acoustic thing anymore, but um, a fantastic artist who just started going to Europe because it was working for him. Is, is that still the case? Do you think there are still venues out there that, or uh, do most just take more notice of you because you're an established I th- agency I th- now? Um, I think... Well, it's, I don't actually do any booking on the content anymore because it became too hard. Right. But I do partner up with yeah uh, agents over there from time to time. Um, that could, perhaps could, that answers the question. Well, then, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yes, I, I, um, I think if you spoke to Paul Liddell about that, he would. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but no. um, my impression is that he did did it for three years and. But there was no actual progress. So, yeah, and yeah. so the first time you go over, it's actually pretty attractive just to do like thirty shows for a hundred euros each. Yeah, and then after a while, you get a bit bored of sleeping in your, in your car. Yeah, yeah. And you're on you the did, third yeah. tour, and it's still a hundred euros, or maybe less. You know, yeah, for some yeah. reason. And yeah. so I, I think that's very hard, and I don't think it's any different to this country, right? Actually, yeah. So being slightly established. Um, is important everywhere. Yeah. Quite what form that slightly established mantle <laughs> takes is varies in each case. But... Uh, uh, well, I, I guess that 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 um, that's the same with as it that's as it should be. That that the, the um, we should all have to try hard to 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 work yes. at our craft, uh, and if we're persistent enough, and and we really are. Um, good at what we do not mm. just think we're good at what we do then perhaps we'll have mm. some we just stick at it and, and and we have some joy in in getting gigs and and selling it's, records and it's, it's, it's the oldest the yeah. oldest thing in the book you gotta learn your chops you know yeah, yeah you know yeah, absolutely one of the people i still work with marty o'reilly and his band literally slept six people to the floor of one room for two years every time <laughs> they came over yeah and now that's not necessary yeah but they were ama- are amazing. They came over. They proved that. Yeah. And then two, maybe three years, didn't really make any money. And then now he can even come over solo and, right. f- and fill rooms up. Yeah. So um, he, he's an extraordinary performer, and that's why that's happened. But it yeah. didn't come easy. Yeah. He had to play to five people. Yeah. In Bolton. And work at it. Yeah, yeah. And if you do that, you you do uh, find ways to to connect with people, don't you? <laughs> if you've got to try yeah. harder, yeah. Yes. Um, 
So that's, that's yeah, I guess that that's a, a an old story. Um, so just the last thing I want to ask you, James, before before we we disappear off and and do whatever we can do at the moment um, is is just about the the influence of of digital um, music releasing. Really, uh, mm. I, I think this is going to be a common theme with all the different people I talk to that that. Um, uh, some people tell me that um, you really can play the games with with uh, Spotify et al. these days and get the numbers up on that, um, and that helps uh, perhaps get gigs or get people to gigs. Um, other mm. people tell me that you need to be established in what you're doing before you'll be able to get those numbers up. Mm. Are you finding artists that are doing well with this thing, with this using Spotify as as a you know discovery tool? Um, or is it all just a load of old shit that we've got to deal with anyway? Um, is there any wisdom in this? Um, I I feel weird about the whole thing. I um, have in 2019 and this year been associated with, um, as tour manager actually, uh, at least three artists who have people at their concerts because of Spotify. Mm. And um, no one was more surprised than John Craigie when right. there was all those people at a show in Amsterdam because he's never played in the Netherlands apart from in the corner of a bar six years ago. Okay. And there are all these people that knew the words. Wow. And that's because they found yeah. him. Yeah. It's organically through Spotify. Okay, yeah. Um, same with Mipso, um, who I was out with recently. Right. It's all. Yeah. Spotify have... For all the things that us oldies uh, don't like about them, have become a place where people find you. Yeah. But what also happens is they tell you when you're playing nearby. Yeah. Um, and Mipso, particularly um, from North Carolina, who I drove around, uh, didn't book their shows, but drove them, they... Um, they are an example of completely independent people uh, who went up through the ranks of Spotify just by people finding them and listening to them. Right. Through many and various means, but all all organic. Yeah. Nothing paid for. Okay. Nothing like no, that's, that. That's, yeah, it just see. happened. Yeah. And, of course, as you can imagine, Spotify love them. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they're, they're proof of how an independent artist can... Oh, yeah. Yeah. achieve numbers so it can happen just by being good yeah yeah thank god for that um but yeah <laughs> uh but um yeah i i had you know this if you'd have asked me this a year ago i would have not had many kind words to say about those platforms but yeah I, i'm slowly realizing that that's the that is the game at the moment yeah well that that's yeah that's what i i think you're right i, mm. I agree um it, it's uh we, 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 it's not going away. Streaming is not going away. So therefore, those of us that work in music need to work with it uh, and yes. do our best with it. And and it is an amazing... I use it every day. I pay for a subscription. Mm -hmm. I use it as a reference tool with people uh, a lot. They say, oh, can, can it sound like this? So, so, you, so I can look at it. But it's, um, it is it is also a great discovery tool. I, so. I don't know many musicians that hate digital streaming that don't have an account with apple music or spotify yeah yeah, yeah. and 
there's your answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you really like music, don't you? That's why you've got that. Yeah. Well, yeah. guess what? Yeah. So do your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. No, that's great. So, all right, we, we should finish off. Um, finally, uh, so Peter, your your your. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say you're definitely not wanting more people uh, on your agency for booking shows. Is that right? But you're you drive lots now. You you tour manage. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that, you're more into that. that. That's that, yeah. I bought a Sprinter um, splitters um, to to make it easier so that when the bands from the US that I booked here, I could provide a service at a fee which suited them and me of booking their shows and then driving them as well. Yeah. And then very quickly I became in demand just as a straight tour manager without any of the booking. Yeah. So sometimes I book the shows, sometimes I book and drive. Yeah. And sometimes I just drive. Yeah. And um, just recently it's there's been a lot of just straight tour management. Oh, great. Which okay. I really enjoy because I've got yeah. a, very, a very logical mind. And yeah. when I was touring back in the day, I did work with some very good tour managers. And, right. Um, that all worked out yeah. well. I remembered all the things I liked about those tour managers. Okay. And you do your accounts every day. and you're in, Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, I wanted to do this chat. For, for a long time so thank you for this um, okay. where can people you. find you James and all the uh, I guess uh, what you'll want to do is people find you and then people find the artists that you're working with as well so what, yeah, um, how do they find you oh, I don't know you blindsided me there I just come in for a chat um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, yeah I'd love them to check out the artists yeah yeah um, and the amount of touring I've done means my website is out of date, but it's bhmusic.co.uk. <laughs> um, sure, uh, by all means, go and have a look. Well, um, well perhaps this this um, this enforced rest we're currently having during the um, maybe update it, yeah. The uh, the virus times, as we'll call them in future, I imagine, or something like yeah. that. Uh, we'll we'll all update our websites and do the things that we haven't had a chance to do in recent times. So like, uh, at the moment, I'm working on the. Uh, demolishing a shed and putting a new one up but you know that's just that's just me working out my frustration at the, okay. at the situation well and um uh, yeah give me a few days and be okay. back in the saddle proper uh, and and forgive me but um uh, I, I i will um if it's okay with you i will send you my um i think it's every is it twice a year every six months i send you my my email saying so when are we going to make another record then james is is that okay to just keep doing that yeah of course yeah i've already said never again twice so i'm not gonna say never again again because there's <laughs> i've already proved to myself that that's not real so yeah uh, it's just i don't have the the muse isn't there at the minute so no it so might come fine. yeah it's been great to chat Hey, likewise. Thank you for having me. Nice tea as well. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. Um, uh, and now I shall go and, um, I don't know, what shall I do? Uh, I shall go and paint my shed, perhaps. Cool. I, ha I have got a shed as well that, that doesn't need attention. Well, that's, that's, that's what we should all do at this point. To, you go, and people have to look after their sheds. <laughs> Can't all be about music. No. <laughs> See you soon. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. So that's all for this week. If you want to get in touch with some constructive feedback or perhaps ideas about future subjects for these podcasts, I'd love to hear from you. Email david at therecordingbooth.co.uk, Twitter at Rural Record Pro, or my main website is therecordingbooth.co.uk. Come and find me through that. Thanks for listening to the Rural Record Producer podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please do make sure to follow and if possible, leave a nice review of the podcast on your chosen platform. 
Until next time, enjoy your music. <laughs>